So, uh, I'm an iPad power user now. You've been an iPad power user for a while now. <laughs> I think that, like, whenever I get into things, like, I get into things. Would you say that you have an addictive personality? No. An, an obsessive personality. I would say you have an obsessive personality. Like for some things, I know where to I know where to stop and I know I know my limits. <laughs> yeah. And what uh-huh. what I mean is uh-huh. like in recent years, I have decided, you know, for over oh, this thing, I just need to like buy the best one that's on wire cutter and like not get into it. And I've and I've made those decisions yeah. in some like, cases. Like when you shot from the hip with buying your washer and dryer. Yeah, and that's how, a really that good work? example. So far, great. That's good. That's good. <laughs> no complaints so far. That worked out. Yeah. Like you you get into things you get into things really deep when you get into things, yeah. but I you know, it's some I guess for me I just don't always make that decision actively. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you really enjoy researching things. I feel like you have a lot of stuff where you know a lot about it but you haven't like spent a lot of money on it or whatever. Yeah, I guess that's true. I like, I've always liked getting the most out of the, the things that I choose to buy or mm-hmm. have like it's technology and that sort of thing. And I think that's, that's why I was so hesitant to get into the iPad because I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to really use it. I'm shocked at how much I use it. And I yeah. keep coming up with more and more things to do with it. And there's been rumors that the next iPad, which hasn't been, it wasn't even refreshed in 2023, which cool. I'm glad they're, you know, stretching that out. Could have an OLED screen. It'd be a pretty big change. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I don't like it whenever you, if you press too hard on the screen, like you can see the, the screen touch mm, or yeah, whatever. That's not a good feeling. And it would be nice if it was laminated like the phone. And if it was OLED, it would probably be laminated. And so... An OLED, an OLED iPad could be pretty, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I was imagining what my life would be like if I maybe I passed my iPad down to somebody else in my house and I acquired an OLED iPad, <laughs> you know, since I'm a, a, a iPad power user. Yeah. Yeah. What other uh, improvements would you like to see in the next iPad? Do you have anything else that's like a pain point for you or anything? I, I just want better text entry and that's a software thing. I don't like the... I, I get by with the pencil and the little keyboard and the software keyboard. I wish they would bring back the split keyboard. That's, but that's all, that's all software. I just want a better, more, better version, like more improvement on iPad OS, but I've still been really impressed with what iPad OS is, iPad OS is now. So. Yeah. Yeah. With stage manager and all that. Hardware wise, like, I don't know the, an OLED screen would be really cool, but otherwise like the hardware is, pretty good until unless they can do a, a folding ipad mm, like if i could have this cool. but like a book that would be like, and yeah. i have like an 11 inch pro if i could just like fold that puppy out and it, that would, i would be super super into that yeah maybe that'll happen i don't know it, it make the the whole folding thing makes more sense to me on an ipad than a phone just because mm-hmm. i feel like it's a it's a bigger difference in the size 
It would make it easier to hold for some things, Yeah, I think. And yeah. I would be, I use it in split screen enough that it would be cool to kind of be able to hold it on the crease or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I honestly would be fine if it was like a surface style fold where there was actually, it was like glass screens with a Yeah, with like two separate, I, I would almost prefer that unless folding screen technology just gets incredibly good because yep. I, I still, I'm still like skeptical of it, I think. It, for all the foldy screen stuff, I would 100% dig my nail into it. <laughs> Just out of like an obsessive mm. thing, I just wouldn't be able to not do it. And, and then I just have creases and all over my screen. It'd be terrible. Yeah, that would not be good. Yeah. Which which uh, which size would you get? Assuming they don't do a folding one. Well, this is what I was wondering, Daniels. Whole reason I brought this up. Should I get a bigger iPad? <laughs> it's, it's a big question. I mean, I was pretty sure that the 11 inch was the right size. and But with all the things that I've been doing with like the photo editing and like some light video editing and working in like drawings and all this different stuff that I'm doing, like using the pencil and blah, blah, blah. I mean, maybe maybe I need a bigger iPad. Maybe so. I had a 12.9 for a while. You and did? Yeah, I did. And the, you did? Uh, I, yeah, yeah. The uh, the size was nice. Why, I, I why think, don't I remember this? I think I had one um, before, like before this one. I'm pretty sure the size I had was 12.9. That was a mini. No, I, I mean, I did have a mini in between, but... Anyway, uh, anyway, I, I I think it could be a good fit for doing some of that stuff. I mean, obviously, having more screen size is really nice, but I don't know. It kind of depends on how you use it because for me, the iPad is what I take when I don't want to bring my computer, and so I want it to be really compact and lightweight and all that, and the 12.9 is bigger and heavier, and it's like it's not going to fit in as many bags, and that might be a problem. That's, that is kind of the argument, right? It's like if I need a bigger screen, I should move to a computer. Mm-hmm. But there's things that you can do on the iPad you just can't do on the computer. And if I had a 12.9, it would be like the same, almost the same size as my computer screen, and I could use it as a second monitor. <laughs> be a whole thing. There you go. Would, super, super would the cool. 12.9 fit in your sling bag? No, that was gonna. That was my other point. That's is that I would have to change my entire like bag life. Mm, you'd have to buy more bags. You yeah. hate that. Mm. That's actually in the plus column. <laughs> Oh boy! Fortunately, I don't have to worry about this for like two more months. Yeah, yep. But two months from now, you'll be stressed out they about are, this. They are one hundred percent dropping those things in March. Eh, maybe so. I think they're doing it in March. Yeah. The the thing that makes me wonder is if the Vision Pro comes out soon, which seems likely. I don't know that they would also want to release OLED iPads at the same time because even Apple fans have limited budgets. I would think that the Vision Pro is a, a do it during CES kind of thing. And then the iPads would be March. But if it's not during CES, then Vision Pro is March and iPads are WWDC or September. Yeah, I don't think it'll be nope, CES because I think I think they want to they want their own spotlight. They can't wait till October for iPads. Yeah, maybe not. That would be I mean they can, but that would be, be two almost years. two years. It'd be two yeah. years. I don't know. It'd be cool to see. I'm I'm concerned about how expensive they'll be just because OLED screens seem like They've been expensive on devices of this size, so there is there aren't really many. I don't I don't even know if the Samsung Tab has an OLED screen. Yeah, I mean the closest competition I think is computer monitors because you can get OLED like gaming monitors now, but they're still pretty expensive. True, it's kind of a different technology. Like once you get mm-hmm. into that scale of the display, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. like that's why you can get an OLED TV for twelve hundred dollars, but an OLED iPad feels like it would be more expensive than that even though the screen is like a fraction of the size even if it wasn't more expensive apple would use it as justification to make you pay more <laughs> sure yeah <That's laughs> oh they can charge an extra 200 bucks all right here we go <laughs> yep yep 
Yeah. Mm. So I think the big question would be, you know, are you willing to pay $1,500 for an iPad? No. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I guess that's my answer. <laughs> you might wait a year or two until you can get to get a refurbished one or something. No, I need to I need to spend my money on a Synology this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're doing too many video projects. You gotta store that stuff somewhere. Yeah, I need I need like fifty terabytes of space this year. <laughs> <laughs> Big plans. Yep. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. You know, I wasn't quite sure what we were going to talk about today. And so I put whatever you want to call it. This is like a like a lightning round or a grab. I guess not a lightning round because nothing about our topics is going to be quick. Most of them are camera adjacent. So that'll be good. And uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll just uh, take, it, take it as it comes and see what happens. Yep. All right. So I'm, I'm going to start us out with uh, this isn't really a corner because I guess in a triangle right we have the triangle diffusion and uh, one of those is is my the cinema corner where i talk about certain like movie cinema camera stuff is that what that corner is just the lenses and then there's the one where i make you guess which movie was shot on an old cinema camera and then there's the movie corner right that's a lot of corners. why can't i remember all I of our segments I, I should write down what segments we have yeah, for the show. Yep. Now let's pretend this is one of the segments. Okay. Who knows? Well, what is it? What are we talking about? Okay. So, in 2023 has is long gone, and a lot of the shows and stuff that I listen to and the things that I read online, people are coming out with their their top movies of 2023, and I said to myself, I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of similar. <laughs> So I want to get. I want to tell you my top movies of 2023. Cool, that sounds good. And you can't stop me. All right. Yeah, this is your podcast. What am I going to do about it? <laughs> Cut it all out. <laughs> <laughs> next, next segment. So what I went through, I went through Letterboxd, and I filtered by movies that came out and that were released in 2023, and then like I sorted it by my my rating and like you know how many stars I gave those those movies. I watched 31 movies that came out last year. Interesting. Of all the movies that came out, I watched mm. 31 of them. Yeah. And so this is to draw, to draw the distinction here, this is not your favorite or top movies that you watched in 2023. It is both that as well as things that released in 2023. It's, yeah. So it's only things released in 2023 and only the thing, oh, of those things, only the ones that I watched. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty <laughs> I'm not, I'm not list here. Yeah. I'm not going to throw things on here like a... Uh, Let's see. I didn't see. I didn't see like poor things. I don't know. That movie seemed interestingly weird. Probably not going to watch it. But that's not going to be on here because I didn't see it. I didn't see. Uh, I didn't see that that Ari Aster movie with Walking uh, Phoenix. What was it called? Bo's Not Afraid. Didn't see that movie. That's not going to be on here either. Anyway, okay. I think we all understand what's happening here. Yes. So here's my my top five. I actually struggled to get five. I really only wanted to put four, but I, I made myself put five. Okay. And I'm going to run through them. These are not in order. And some of these we talked about on the podcast. Is that enough preamble? Do you want I, me to stretch it a little I, more? I, no, I think I got it. I'm, right. I'm already going to run this entire segment at like 1.5 speed. So. <laughs> okay, perfect. All right. First one, Godzilla minus one. Do you want to talk about each of these and say like why you picked them? I don't know. Maybe a little bit. Okay. This one is uh is it's a new Godzilla movie. It's a Japanese movie, all subtitles, and it's like a it's like a World War 
post-World War II Japan. And it's like this kamikaze pilot. And the story is like about how he didn't do his kamikaze thing. And so he has like this guilt and shame. And like he saw all these people die. And so he's coming back from the war. And like the war is coming back with him. And it's just kind of like eating him up. And he's trying to like work at like Japan's trying to recover from all the firebombing and all this sort of thing. And it's, it was, it's like Godzilla is in a way like his like grief and turmoil and getting through the whole, like Godzilla destroying everything is like him, like personifying like him overcoming and like the war coming mm-hmm. to an end personally for him. Pretty deep. And it was, it was, it was like really interesting how they kind of did that and it makes it, better than just like a monster movie well then on top of that godzilla was cool and it was fat godzilla which is better than not fat godzilla <laughs> and uh i super liked it nice anyway uh talk uh, the creator is my next one yeah we had an episode about that yeah so we talked about that one i put that one on here because of the whole fx3 thing and the whole like the way that they shot that film and yeah. the whole you know doing it for 80 million dollars when what was supposed to be a 300 million dollar probably budget and shooting it on like 80 locations I thought that the production was so cool, mm-hmm. and so I wanted to put that on my list. And I, I thought it was a good movie, too. I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's right. I made you watch that movie. Yeah. I think that's the only movie you've seen on this list. Yep, I think that's right. Uh, no Hard Feelings. I'm not really a, like a raunchy comedy guy, but uh, this was a Jennifer Lawrence comedy, and it was the first like studio comedy that I've seen actually made in the last five years, because they just don't make comedies anymore. And- it was funny and it was good and I thought it deserved to be on my list. So it is. I put Barbie on here because that was surprise, super duper good. Okay. Maybe it was not a surprise for everybody. It was a surprise for me. I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to really like this. I thought Barbie was great. I was like, five stars. This movie's awesome. Non-ironically. So, not, no, yeah. Barbie's great. If you haven't seen it, you should watch Barbie. <laughs> it's super good. And then the last one on here is Totally Killer. And that is a like a streaming, and I think it released in theaters, but it's just like a dumb horror movie and it's it was a it was really fun it's like a retro slasher and i really like horror movies and that one was super fun cool that's it those are my top five movies that came out in 2023 i had a list of honorable mentions on here Uh, i wanted to mention they cloned tyrone because that was like a a sneaky release on on netflix that was really fun and then there's uh scream six was probably my favorite sequel that came out last year I know that one was a little divisive and then Oppenheimer. I think we talked about it on this podcast. I have to say that one because the 70 millimeter IMAX and shooting on film and like, I want to see more 70 millimeter film stuff. And then I watched asteroid city recently and that is the most Wes Anderson movie I've ever seen. <laughs> is like, it a Wes Anderson movie? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's like if you took all of the Wes Anderson like theme stereotypes and you try to cram all of that into a movie and like try to make the most West Anderson style movie. That's what this, it was. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know how to visualize that. I just, it, it well, it's straight on <laughs> and anyway, it, I gave, it was, I gave it like four stars cause there was nothing wrong with the movie except that, I think that Wes Anderson's style is about to implode on itself. Mm, what do you mean by that? I just mean that like it's it's like a, a like a feedback loop. Like he just, it just becomes more and more of itself until it's just going to be like 
nonsense. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So it's like he has to keep upping the ante, and eventually there will be nowhere for it to go. Well, no, I don't even think it's. I don't even think it's that. I think it's just he's like, this is like how I do things, and then no one's telling him no. <laughs> <laughs> just, just running, and, running a mock. Everyone's like, well, yeah, this is just how we shoot Wes Anderson movies, and he's like, well, this looks good, and then it, <laughs> oh, I put it, I put it on my list because of the color grading. Mm. I think the color in that movie was highly unique, and it was very interesting, and a lot of people have been styling their photos and doing like. Uh, Lightroom look packs and all this sort of thing and presets for the Asteroid City look and it's those blues. It's those cyan blues. It's all about those blues. Pastels. I was thinking that too. I just wanted to let you say it. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. Top movies 2023. Nice. I like it. Yay. <laughs> I don't know if I'll actually watch any of those. Maybe Barbie. But, you should uh, definitely watch Barbie. Yeah. Barbie is fun. Yeah. But neat. I'm glad that... Uh, I mean, it seems like there are still some good movies coming out. It's not not that every every old thing is better. I'm going to make you go to the movies with me this month. No. Ah, mm-hmm. What are we going to see? We're either going to see Mean Girls or ISS. <laughs> and I don't know if you get to choose. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything <laughs> about either of them. I mean, I've seen the original Mean Girls, and I don't know how the new one relates to that. But I'm worried that the new one will not capture the old one's magic. Mm, that's always a risk. And so maybe it's not worth seeing. Yeah. ISS is about uh, people like World War Three or whatever breaks out on Earth and the people on, on the space station, they're like, hey, you guys need to make sure that, you know, you don't lose the space station by whatever <laughs> means necessary. And so then you like, it's like a mini conflict between uh, the Russians and the Americans on the space station. That and they're cool. all like, we're not going to do anything to hurt each other, right? <laughs> guys? Yeah, that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> Yeah. Did you know that there was a uh, there was a Soviet cosmonaut that was actually in space on the Mir space station when the Soviet Union fell? No, I did not know that. Yeah, like he went up into space as a Soviet cosmonaut, and then he came down as a Russian. Oh man! And, and he was up there for a really long time because <laughs> because they didn't have a space program for a while. Oh dear! <laughs> it's an interesting story. Oh boy. All right, next next thing. I have another legendary lens. Oh man, we're getting two in a row two now. In a row. I wow. got. I'm trying to make up traction. Yeah, we. It was a. It was a long long year last year. We had 52 whole episodes, mm-hmm. and we only we only have seven legendary lenses. <laughs> that's that's bad numbers there, Lucas. Gotta and, work on that. And we're trying to get to 100. <laughs> and so I I just yeah. You know, really, really need to step up the game here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we we don't have. Uh, I don't know if we have 15 years of this show uh, to look forward to or not. Who, who so, knows? Yeah, maybe we do. Maybe we do. Well, I want to tell you about the long tom. <laughs> <laughs> do we need to have like a like a content warning on this? <laughs> Might as well. Did the, did the children need to stop listening now? All right. So, picture picture yourself uh, in in 1953. Okay, that's and, easy. And yeah. you're gonna you're gonna watch. Uh, Queen Elizabeth II at Buckingham Palace at a coronation. Mm. Yep. Very exciting. And yep. you need to get a photo of it. But it's super far away and you don't have a super long lens and like you're a press person and so you're going to shoot that thing on 4x5. Obviously. And so yeah. you need a long lens. What are you going to do? I don't know. I mean, the, the answer is you're going to go to Devere. I I I assume that's how they call it, Deveri. I just think it's funny because it looks like Deveri Long Tom, uh, <laughs> which is a, uh, uh, they make enlarged, enlargers for okay. making large prints. Sure. And you're going to get them to build you three custom 
lenses that are like a thousand millimeters. <laughs> it's like um, they didn't have the Panasonic G9 Mark II, and so they needed this special thing. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly <laughs> what it is. Do you know what a four by five camera is? Not exactly. No. And do you? And you okay. Uh, there's some links in here that you could click on. You can actually buy a modern four by five camera. I think it's an Intrepid camera, which is a UK company, will sell you one for 388 bucks, And it's like a new 4x5 camera. Wow. And they like they, they collapse down, but uh, imagine almost like an accordion. Oh, You've probably seen I, those cameras, I've right? I've seen those, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where it looks kind of like an accordion. And you take a like a, literally a 4-inch by 5-inch negative. Jeez. And you shunk it into the thing. And then you like, you know, capture the picture. You release the shutter on the lens. Yeah. And uh, it takes the picture and you just don't touch it or else it'll shake. And like, that's a four by five camera. It's crazy to me that you can still buy that. Yeah, dude. People are like, there's YouTube channels dedicated to four by five. You don't even know. It's a whole world. There's so many like photography subcultures. Apparently. I'm just saying, like, if you're into cameras, which. (laughs) Which if you're listening to this show, (laughs) you probably are. And you're like, I don't know. This one, like type of camera that I'm into is just it's like esoteric or it's very niche and like I don't know who else would actually care about this there's a sub community out there <laughs> there's some forum on like DP yep. review or there's like a subreddit or like just somewhere there is a community <laughs> focused around that very specific narrow type of photography that's funny anyway I'll, 4x5 is, is enormous yeah it's a big sensor I mean it's like uh, it's like 10 by 7 centimeters, which for those keeping track at home, we've been talking about 645. We've been talking about 67, which are centimeter by centimeter off 120 film. This is even bigger. It's like twice as big. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Makes uh, 35 millimeter look like a joke. <laughs> Anyways. So you got this big old four by four thing. And then like, I have a picture of this thing, which I don't know if you'll be able to throw that on notes or cover art it or something. But it's just like giant, huge lens, and it was a thousand millimeters roughly, and it was called like a fifty-inch lens, which would be twelve fifty millimeters, yeah, I don't, not a thousand. So I don't, I don't know if I, it's if that's like a nominal number or what that number is. I don't know. They said it was a fifty-inch, and so okay. and being being the fifties, I'm like, is it literally like is the focal length fifty inches, or is it a thousand millimeters? Yeah, that's weird. I don't I don't know. The information is sparse because this was a very like custom built yeah. lens. I mean, it just looks like a big black box. It sure does. It was an F8. Which, which is probably still pretty shallow at a thousand millimeters. Yeah, I mean, like, if you're shooting way out there, like 50 feet away, I mean, you're going to have 20 feet of depth yeah. and it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But if you were shooting something that was like 20 feet away, razor thin. Yeah. Anyway, so George Greenwall of some newspaper took his picture of the queen and it was it was perfect and fantastic and everyone loved it and it made the newspaper and all that stuff. But they made three of these things. And you probably won't ever be able to buy one because there's only three. Yeah. I'm sure two of them are broken. Yeah. That's not very many. Yeah. So that's it. Really (laughs) rare. Super custom. And uh, has a story behind it. And it's a little legendary. And that's the the very long Tom. Yeah. I definitely never heard of this thing. Yep. And that that, that company doesn't even make lenses. (laughs) Is, yeah, there's that. And the fact that there's only three, is this the rarest one you've talked about so far, do you think? (sighs) I don't Mm. know if you've had any less than that. I think that the some of the other ones are maybe yeah probably the more most quote unquote rare yeah in terms of like fewest copies yeah as far as fewest copies but I mean there's there's some that are up there like that uh 
that what was it the canon it was like a thousand millimeter or 700 millimeter f 2.5.6 or whatever it was that prime where there was a handful of copies and then there was the the carl's ice planer 0.7 where there was like 11 copies or something i mean i guess that there's there's two separate things there's number of copies but there's also like how many people know about it or how obscure is it and maybe this one has the fewest number of copies, but maybe it's not as obscure in terms of knowledge as some of those others. Yeah, I would say that like if this thing popped up on eBay, it probably wouldn't sell for like a billion dollars, like some of the Carl's Ice things that we've talked about or some mm-hmm. of the those Canon lenses that we've talked about. But still kind of rare, kind of cool. Yeah, pretty neat. I'm like looking back here at my list and I'm trying to see where I wrote down that uh, Canon lens that was the the eye of Sauron or whatever. And it's definitely not on here. Uh, so I need I to do actually, remember us talking about that. It wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't that long ago. I got I need to update my list. Maybe there's more than seven. Oh. And I'm just really bad at tracking these things. I'm gonna have to like search through our old show notes. Uh, I should just take better notes. That's a thought. So we, we record these things and I'm just like, yep. Done. Yeah. Moving on in, in your eyes <laughs> and out your mouth and sure. Out of your brain. <laughs> No, I have all the legendary lenses on lock. I just got to yep. remember them. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so that's it. That's cool. the long Tom. <laughs> the long Tom. I briefly considered uh, whether or not I need to get into 4x5. <laughs> I was going to say that 388 is pretty uh, tempting, isn't it? I, I don't think it's for me. <laughs> it seems like developing it would be either expensive or difficult. Pro- probably I would definitely need like a like a dark room or something. I was looking up four by five film and I found some Kodak Porta one sixty and you can get ten sheets of it for sixty five dollars. Gosh, That's so much money. Yeah, you can get like Ilford, like you can get like twenty sheets of black and white for maybe forty bucks or something. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not very cheap. Oh man, I, I watched a video of somebody who was was like went out and shot four by five. Because there's YouTube videos about it. The person took two pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you were saying that sometimes when you get into hobbies, you're able to know when when to stop or what your limits are. I feel like this is that point. Like this is this is past where you should go with film. <laughs> well, I, I more meant like uh you're like you you're into FPV and drones and that sort of thing. And I that is one hundred percent something that I could get really into because like I'm into like video games and that sort of stuff. And so like the controls and I like electronics and I like cameras and it's like, there's so many intersect points where FPV would make a ton of sense for me. And I'm just like, I have to, then I have to learn how to like fix the things and I have to get all the stuff. And it's like, I can see, I can look over the edge and I can see how deep that hole is. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh no, no. (laughs) And so I've, I have resisted like getting into FPV at all because I know how slippery that could be for me. So it's not that you know when to stop. It's that you know when to not start something. Right. Yeah. Well, which means you're going to buy one of these four by five cameras eventually. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say like, I I know when to not, like I'm getting, I'm getting where I know when to not, not to start things. <laughs> so that's a recent, so it's a work in progress, recent development. Uh, because as you know, None of us have been able to stop this whole film thing. Yeah, that's very true. I have a film camera in my bag right now. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> you might might need to take a picture. Yeah. Which, a, which camera is it? Well, it's, it's the Minolta. Uh-huh. Of course. Yep. It's my, my <laughs> Uh 
Anyway, have you heard about this whole blurry photo trend? I've seen a little bit about it, yeah. I've been avoiding talking about it because that, like, if it's in my feed, that means it's gone mainstream enough. Yeah. And that means it's actually not cool anymore. Nah, that's probably true. And so it's not worth talking about. But I mean, that, that Minolta, you're, you're well on your way. I was like I, like, I saw that and I said, oh, hold up a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you could dominate you, TikTok with that camera, Lucas. You mean all of these pictures that I took at like the Christmas party where the background is in focus and then the person's blurry are actually in right now? Oh, people and would be are, really into that. Oh, man. Especially I, because it has that filmic look. Oh, I, I didn't even know. I didn't even know that and like, and it wasn't actually a problem with the photos. They are indeed perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Now you know. Mm-hmm. You, ought to, you ought to start a TikTok. <laughs> what is it? A, is it a channel? I don't know what a TikTok is, but like you should start a TikTok and just post your pictures on there <laughs> <laughs> with no commentary. Sure. <laughs> just like need a hip song. Oh, yes. Oh, geez, let's I, yep. so, I sound ancient. Yeah. <laughs> Let's stop before we embarrass ourselves further. <laughs> uh, too late. Okay. All right. Since we were talking about my Minolta point and shoot. Yes. Let's talk about more point and shoots. Of course. The, we, we've talked about how they used to be a thing. Like, you go, oh, yeah. you go back to film days, like jillions of them. And then. Well, even in digital, I mean, back in like, let's say like the mid, the mid 2000s, you know, like 2003 to twenty. 12 i feel like point and shoot digital cameras were pretty popular yeah like tons of them my mom had, had some nikon cool pics mm-hmm. for a while like that was her camera or whatever yeah. it's just like cell phones replaced them yeah basically i think so but also they didn't replace them because the demand for point and shoot cameras is out of control <laughs> is it though yes daniel it's out of control <laughs> <laughs> how do you know that Okay. Give me some sources. I want to present you with the Panasonic Lumix DMC LX100. Okay. Which is a micro four third point and shoot originally released in 2014. And then Mark II came out in 2018. Five years old. Micro four thirds. Not that, not that long ago. Point and shoot with a zoom on it. Released for $900. Sorry, $1,000. Jeez. You want to buy that thing used on like eBay? Same price. Really? Five really? years later. Because people want these point-and-shoot cameras. I mean, is it is it basically like the X100V type phenomenon? Oh, yeah. Why, people, well, why people, do people want those now? People can't. Come on. Come on. It's because they're awesome. People can't buy an X100V, so they're looking for the next best thing. And they go, they find the Ricoh. And then when they're all over, the Ricohs are all expensive. It's not like, what else are you going to do? You just keep researching. And you eventually, you're going to find the Lumix DMC LX100 Mark II. Which is what I want to talk about. <laughs> I feel like maybe I vaguely remember something about this camera, but I, I mean, every time I've seen stuff like this, I just immediately ignore it because that's not the world that I'm in with cameras anymore. And I, so I'm curious to see, you know, why somebody would use this camera and what makes it different. I think there's a lot of appeal of having a little camera that you can just have with you. I like having a camera when I leave the house that's not my phone, that is like a price a purpose-built camera and it's going to take better pictures and that sort of thing. And whether or not this takes better pictures on your phone, maybe debatable, but it's a, it's like I said, it's micro four thirds, which we, we, you and I both started out on, no, we didn't start out on micro four thirds cause you had a, yeah, I had an APS-C Nikon. Doesn't, doesn't Nikon call those like DMX or something like the wrapper DX. Oh, that's different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it's APS-C size. Still my first, my first like camera camera was a micro four thirds. Yeah. 
And I had some 1.7 lenses and that was decently fast. This thing has a zoom on it that's 10 to 34 millimeter. So it's like 24 to 70, right? Yeah, like pretty 24, much. 22 to 68. And it's not, it is micro four thirds, but like the way that they do the lens itself, they um, they crop in on it. So like the the DMC LX100 Mark One was 10.1 megapixels. The Mark II is like 20 megapixels, but you effectively get 17. Interesting. Because the way that the image circle works with this thing. And so like there's a little bit extra crop in there. So you're, that's why it's like 24 to 70 instead of 22 to 68. Nah, I see. Okay. Anyway, and it's F1.7 to F2.8. That's pretty fast. Really. Pretty fast, yeah. right? Like it's it's not. It'd be cool if it was one point seven through the range, like those super sweet uh, Lumix whatever lenses that uh, Panasonic has right yeah. now. For are they Lumix lenses? Are they um? They're Leica lenses, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they have some Leica ones. Yeah, that's right. For uh, micro four thirds. Well, this is a Leica lens on this camera. It's a Leica lens, and it's fast. You know, it's like you know, full frame is like three point five, five point six, but that's good. Yeah. So like. If you're comparing this to your modern APS-C cameras, the X100V has an F2 lens on it. Mm-hmm. That's three, F3, full frame equivalent. Yeah. It's basically, it's you're basically getting the same speed. And so as long as you have a decent sensor on there, which this sensor is, the same sensor that's in the, L, uh, the GX9. I was going to say, I mean, I had a GX85, you had a GX7. Mm-hmm. This feels like the specs are such that it would be similar. Like yeah, so it's like quality. it's the next generation sensor. So it'll be have slightly better image quality than you, what your GX85 had, mm-hmm. which wasn't bad. Yeah. So like decent, decent lens, like good glass, decent speed, micro four thirds. Cool. It's kind of a cool little, like cool little camera. And plus you get the zoom instead of a fixed lens. Yeah. Like there's a few downsides. Like the the back screen is not full and doesn't articulate at all. No, it's just fixed in yeah, place. Yeah, it's just fixed in place. And I kind of expect that on a point and shoot, I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess even the like a Q2 didn't have a flippy screen. Yeah. But some like love the Q3 does, like s- some more modern stuff. Sure. Does the GR3X have one? I don't know. I can't remember. But in any case, I mean, back in the you yeah. know back on the older point and shoots, you never got a flippy screen. So right, and like the the version one of this, which you can find for like three fifty four hundred dollars. 13-year-old camera, <laughs> 10-year-old camera, whatever it is. That sounds like it may not be worth buying. Uh, and those didn't have good ceiling. And so, like, you could get dust on the lens and in the sensor. Mm. And you can't take the the lens off because yeah, it's a fixed lens camera. Right, so, like, right. kind of a problem for that one. They fixed some of those issues with the Mark II. But it's this, like, interesting, like, little camera yeah. that is still way too expensive. <laughs> and, like, not super, super good at video. It'll do, like, 4K and like 1080 60 up to 100 megabits per second like kind of okay but you know a good like carried around camera yeah i mean it seems kind of neat and what i what i also found was that leica made the same camera like literally the same camera oh interesting and so you can get a leica uh what is it i wrote i wrote lx100 but that's the uh, that's the other one sorry it's the it's the Deluxe, which is D hyphen L U X. That sounds like a rapper. Yes, it does. So they made the Deluxe One, which was the same thing as the LX100, which is that 10.1 megapixel sensor. And it like same zoom lens because it's a Leica lens. And then they came out with the Deluxe Two, Three, Four, Five, and Six. And then whenever 
Panasonic came out with the LX100 Mark II with the new 20 megapixel sensor, there was a Deluxe 7 that had a 20 megapixel sensor. Oh, wow. So they were doing a lot more revisions, but then they kind of just stopped at the same time Panasonic did on the Mark II. Right. So there isn't there isn't a Mark or V a V8 right. of the Deluxe camera. It's up to, I think there, I think theirs came out maybe 2019 or 2020 instead of 2018. I mean, that's not that long ago. Is that like, do people still want that camera? Is that one in demand? It's, I mean, it's big, got that Leica name, but it's not crazy expensive. The Leica version was like $1,200 new. Hmm. So it was like 200 bucks more than the Panasonic version. And net, like they're basically the same price. If you're looking for them on eBay, is it meaningfully different in any way? No, not really. Yeah, so you're basically paying for the name? You can have the name, and I get, you probably get, like, different color programming, and so, like, you get the Leica look mm, or whatever. Okay. It's just the, it seems like the V1 through the V6 for those those Leica cameras is just the same the same camera. Yeah, it's like, what did they change for <laughs> I, that many yeah, versions? Yeah, so I didn't kind of get into those details, but if you want to like a camera, and you're like, you think this uh, DX, or this DMC LX100 Mark II is pretty cool, then you can get a Deluxe. Version 7. Yeah, it's like to stretch a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I was curious if this was reasonably portable. And uh, this is the DMC Mark II, or DMC LX100 Mark II, is slightly bigger than a Ricoh GR3X. When it costs basically the same. Yeah. I mean, that's not bad. It looks like, looking at these uh, dimensions now, the main thing that stands out is it's about twice as thick, which if you're pocketing something, that's probably like the most meaningful spec. Right. But I mean, the reason reason being obviously that one has a zoom lens, one has a fixed lens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you don't get something for that extra inch of size, but I mean, it, it is it is impressively small. I think. Yep. And then the Ricoh is a 2.8 APS-C camera. Mm-hmm. So you're not even getting any extra speed. Right. Right. You're just getting a larger sensor. Right. So maybe like a little better noise performance, mm-hmm. but fairly comparable. Yeah. And so I would, I mean, I think it would be pretty easy to kind of cross shop those two. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I've, I've haven't heard people talk about this, so, but I've heard a lot about the Ricoh GR3. So it's neat. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it seems like everyone, like everybody wants the X100V, mm-hmm. but then they'll settle for the Ricoh GR3. Yeah. But now... They can, they can settle also settle for a deluxe version seven, <laughs> and when they can't find that, they can find the off-brand Panasonic Lumix G <laughs> DMC one hundred Mark II. Yeah, there's so many cameras out there. Mm-hmm. But I thought this thing was awesome, and I'm I'm ready for Panasonic to bring it back. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I was thinking, uh, you know, when I was reflecting on last week's episode where we were talking about all the stereoscopic stuff and how it's hard to view those things. It was kind of making me think about how I feel like at some point we shifted from like, like I'm not talking about professionals because I mean, photography has always been, you know, you take a picture and like it's for a newspaper or whatever, you know, but, but, but ignoring that, like for a regular person taking pictures, I feel like at some point we shifted from people taking pictures for themselves and for their own memories to taking pictures to share. And, you know, now we've got social media and I mean, it feels like to me, when most people take a picture now, their first thought, like maybe their only thought related to that is, I want to take this so I can share it on my Instagram or put it on my Facebook or whatever, you know, insert your age and appropriate social network here. But like, that's sort of what, what it's for. And I feel like that wasn't always the case. Like, you know, 
early 2000s, like pre-MySpace days. I feel like that's not really why people, like regular people were taking pictures. And it was more, you know, I want to have memories for myself. You know, maybe I'll print this out and put it on the wall or I'm going to put it in a photo album. And I, I think that's an interesting shift. I would maybe say that the that would be the difference. Like if you go pre pre cell phone, pre social media, that might be the difference between a photographer and a not photographer. And the market for all these point and shoots are for the people who wanted to take pictures to show their family. Like mm-hmm. maybe or they're gonna show their friends, you know, here I I got a disposable camera because I'm going to go on this trip and I wanna show other people like the things that I saw. And so it was there was still that desire of sharing the things yeah but i mean and, i guess it was just a smaller circle and and different and, and audience and everything sure. you're saying is like people you know whereas now i feel like a lot of it is like i want the world to see sure this you know this coffee that i'm drinking this morning or yeah. this you know cool shot of a mountain or whatever Man, that's a big change i think so well um, but like what i was gonna say is that you know, the people who are photographers out there shooting film and stuff they would frequently shoot things for themselves right to have those memories or have those pictures and i think that that's an interesting delineation but you are right that there's a lot of people who are amateur photographers that are posting all their bangers on instagram as one would say (laughs) and previously you really wouldn't have a good way to share those my my grandpa has tons and tons of slides that he left behind and like sometime in the near future I think that those slides are going to end up at my dad's house and I may end up with the opportunity to scan them and like go through and like see all these photos that like I've never seen before and he never shared and like he was, didn't have Instagram or whatever to post them sure. to. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of, it's kind of interesting that I can get a chance to maybe like go through some of those memories and like see things in like the way that he saw them back then. But yeah, like he captured all those photos and, it's a totally different, totally different mindset yeah. and a totally different, uh, I guess, use and meaning. Well, yeah, I just think it's interesting to consider like the motivation of why somebody would buy a camera and why they would take the time to take a picture and how that's changed over time. Because I think that has changed. Yeah, definitely. You know, like I wonder a lot of the people now that want the X100V or the GR3, like would they still have that same desire? Would they still want those same cameras if the only people they could share them with were like their family and friends. I don't know. I don't know if the answer to that either, probably like maybe not, but like regardless of the reason, it feels like point and shoots are just in such high demand right now. Uh, Cause like you just, you can't, you can't buy one used. I mean, these D this Lumix DMC 100 LX 100, like from five years ago or even 10 years ago, it's way more expensive than it has any right to be. Mm-hmm. And because like people want these small compact cameras because they're different than their phone and they're not like it's it's decoupled in a way. And like you do when you're talking about sharing, it's harder to share off of these yeah. cameras. Like yeah, you have a, now you have an SD card. How the heck are you gonna get that onto your phone? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. It is harder and it's that but it's just it's really interesting that those cameras are so popular now because by all rights they shouldn't be. You know, you've got better options if you want to, you know, if you're doing professional work or something. And, you know, why is everybody else not just using their cell phone? Like, it's surprising that these things are still as popular as they are. Yeah. And I I don't know. I can't necessarily put a 
pin on it. I I love the concept of having like a small little camera to carry around that isn't my phone that ideally takes better pictures, takes higher res- higher resolution pictures, something that I can like shoot raw. And I think like for me, there's still a, I guess, almost like a stigma around like, yes, my phone takes really good pictures and I'll shoot JPEGs. I never shoot raw on my phone. And I just feel like from a pure like image capture perspective of I'm not capturing a billion pictures and then letting AI figure it out. I'm capturing one picture off of this sensor and then, you know, editing it if I want to. And like, that's the moment. And it's not like Apple's interpretation of the moment with all this computational whatever. And like, maybe like that's like, to me, that's the appeal of like, I can take a really good 26 megapixel photo and I know that it's going to be better resolution than what's on my phone. Like sure. maybe people are starting to realize that, that there's still like a quality Delta, but I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm just guessing. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's an interesting phenomenon. I wonder if like, camera companies move so slow. Like usually like the like Fuji's release cycles are like three years. It's basically the same for Sony. I think that the A7 III and the A7 IV were 2017 and 2021 or something like that. 2020. Well, I can't remember when the A7 IV came out. Anyways, it's like three or four years. Uh, the A7S three is like four years delta. It is kind of funny though to hear you talking about Sony having a slow pace at anything related I mean, to cameras. They've released they released so many cameras last year because <laughs> they had like so many lines and that sort of thing. I mean, they released a ton of cameras, but it's because they have so many lines. And but if you look at one specific line, I mean, sure, yeah. And like Fuji's on a three year cycle. I think I said that one. Panasonic. I don't man. Like the S five and the S five two were. Yeah, four years and apart. So, sometimes when they do release a new camera, any of these brands, not just Panasonic, sometimes when they do release a new camera, it feels like a pretty incremental upgrade to a previous one. Yeah, so. yep, yeah. The upgrades, uh, like specifically for image quality, like always autofocus and video features, those are the big headlines. But purely image quality cameras that came, like you can get a even like a five D Mark IV, fantastic image quality still. Like those pictures will hold up. You're not going to get as good like high ISO noise performance. But if you're shooting with fat, like good fast glass and you're shooting below ISO 800, you can, you can go back to 2010 and still yeah. get a really decent camera. At least for photos. For photos. Yeah. And so like maybe that's some of the appeal of like these cameras are still good. Mm-hmm. But I was just with the slow pace of slow, quote unquote, pace of cameras coming out. Maybe like that's why. We haven't seen much reaction because everyone was like, ah, we're going to be done with point and shoots because people don't want them. Mm-hmm. And now it feels like all of a sudden everybody wants them. <laughs> yeah, it does. And I don't, we don't, I don't know if it's the film simulations or what, what is it? But I'm wondering if camera companies are going to move to meet that demand. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting to think about. Like, are we going to see a DMC LX100 Mark III? Yeah, I mean, maybe so. Like, you would think that. Fuji, for example, would have been working like day and night to to build the next X100V because it's been so popular. Right. But also 60% of their money comes from Instax yeah. cameras. And so I think they may be more, still more motivated for that. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think they have like their release cycles and plans and whatever. But yeah, you would you would think they would like they, they still can't even make the, the X100V now. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Impossible to buy it. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, with their manufacturing lines and stuff, the X100R or whatever mm. actually yeah. can be produced. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Do you want to go through some of the rumors for this year? I mean, what what do we have to look forward to? Yeah, yeah. Well, just to kind of finish up something on that last one, there's, and like, 
on a similar topic, there has been some with like all the demand for the point and shoot stuff. There has been like crazy rumors that like Sony's going to come back out with another RX one R, and it's like. I mean, RX-1R Mark III, it's been like seven years since they came out with it. They have to release it in 2024. There's so much demand. It's happening. It's happening. Look at the Q3. This is going to be like the competition for the Q3, and Sony's going to give like a run for their money. And I'm like, are you sure? This sounds a lot like whenever everybody was anticipating the A7S three, and it did finally come out. But I mm-hmm. feel like there were about three years leading up to that where people said, this is it. This is the year. Yeah, This the, the RX-1, the R1XR, three rumors are just they sound like insane wild speculation (laughs) have you heard about curved sensors no what do you mean by that so like you look at a i mean the sensors are just flat right well there there's been a lot of like patents and things and talk about and like looking into the option of doing a curved sensor and it doesn't it's hard to make it work with a like interchangeable lenses because like the angles and stuff get kind of weird uh, but like it, maybe it makes more sense for a fixed lens. But the idea behind a curved sensor is that you can get the lens closer or shorter or smaller, like they can get that flange distance closer because like the way that the the sensor itself kind of curves around the back of that light coming in on the back of the sensor or on the back of the lens kind of matches better. Oh, that's weird. And then like you can do things like improve corner sharpness because the distance from the back of the glass to the sensor is the same all the way sure, all the way from sure. one corner to the other instead of because like if you're looking at a flat sensor and you're thinking of the center of the back of the lens glass the distance to the corner is going to be longer than the distance to the front sure which yeah. is like why for wide angle wide angle why wide 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 angle wide aperture lenses when you take close pictures the depth of field can be such that the corners or they're literally out of focus yeah. because they're closer. Because that that difference farther. in that difference in distance from the center becomes mm-hmm. meaningful. Yeah, exactly. And so there's been a lot of talk of and like looking into and patents and things about curved sensors. And people thought that Canon was going to do it for a while. And I don't think it's ever going to happen. But even that is like the R1 XR3 is going to have this curved <laughs> sensor, and it's going to sure. have a have a, a 35 millimeter f 1.7 lens or something stupid. And I'm like, there's no way that you make a compact fixed lens full frame camera that's 1.4. I know I said 1.7, but 35 millimeter 1.4 is the rumor that I saw. Yeah, it's like, just come people, on. people dreaming. Like, yeah, what would the perfect camera be? Mm-hmm. The previous one was f2. Yeah, but going from f two to f one point four in in a full frame size yeah, would be nuts. Yeah. Like physic physically, how the heck do you even do that? And that's why it's like curve sensor or whatever. Yeah, I don't buy any of it. I think that line is done, and we're never going to see another X one R. I would love it. I would love to see them take the the A seven R five and or the A seven C R. It's like sixty megapixel sensor, and stick it in a fixed lens point and shoot. <laughs> I would love it. Take it $4,500 for that thing. Yeah. It'd be super, super cool. I mean, it's really just a question of will people buy that over the Leica Q3? I don't know. I would, I would buy a, probably buy a used, eh, actually, I don't know if I would. I would consider buying a used Leica Q2 over it. But for me, if I was buying a point and shoot in that class of, of camera, which there's no, there's no way, there's no way I spent that much on, anyway, maybe, maybe there was, I don't know. Anyways, the Sony autofocus features are, gonna, are just, they're so good. Good point. Yeah. And so if I'm getting a point and shoot, 
I want to be able to point and shoot. <laughs> I don't want to have to like, I just want to set it in full auto and like let it rock and roll and get some really good pictures that are going to be better than my phone. Like yeah. high resolution, all that's this a stuff. fair point. And like the Sony autofocus is just going to nail it. <laughs> I feel like they could even come out with a non R version, like an RX one. That's not like 60 megapixels. Like put the, the 30 megapixel sensor in there. That would even, that would be fantastic. I would, I mean, I would consider paying like 2,500 bucks or $2,000 for like a full frame fixed lens Sony. That's like F2 and 35 millimeters. Yeah. And like 30 megapixels. Cause that'd be a great, like carry it around camera. Mm-hmm. Cause there's like beyond like it, there's no full frame options. Yeah. 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 You've talked about that before, but I don't know. Maybe there's just not enough demand at that size and price. It's, I feel like it's untested. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. And like we got maybe maybe a camera company will step up and see, but I'm sure that nobody wants to take a loss on all the research and that sort of thing. To sure, do yeah, you want to be pretty certain before you design an entire new camera. Well, let's let's talk about the one that absolutely is coming out because there's no way that it's not, which is the that X100 V dose or whatever well, we they call were, it. We were kind of thinking we might have seen it in the second half of 2023, and so since it didn't come out then, it does seem pretty likely we'll see that this year. Yeah, so. I want to talk about some of the like some of the rumors around that, and I don't want to get into like rumor roundup necessarily, just because for, like for the whole year. But let's talk about like really, really near term, and that's you know like maybe there's some uh, like our Panasonic stuff coming up very soon, and then there's a Fuji event in February. Yeah, like factually, there's there's already a scheduled Fuji X Summit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometime mid to late last year, uh, the the Fuji people at one of the events were, you know, not la- the year before last year was the 10 year of X mount. Mm-hmm. And so that was like the big deal. And then last year they said, this is a GFX year. Mm-hmm. Which kind of makes you think maybe there's like a TikTok type thing going on That's here. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Maybe this is, this is a year for X mount. Yeah. I think 2024. I would, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, we're here for the year of the X Mount. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. You know I am. You need more lenses. <laughs> <laughs> so X one hundred. Rumors ha- rumor has it that it's going to be the same lens, which I was kind of bummed out about. But what were you hoping for? Like I think that the twenty three millimeter f two is fine. I don't. I would maybe want a twenty seven, but I'm not. My twenty three is good. F2's fine. I would love to see it down to 1.7, 1.8. Yeah. But I'll I'll take F2. I would I just I want it as fast as I can get it. Like My, like like aperture time. Both. <laughs> both Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that the the main thing around that the lens rumor is that if it's the same lens it won't have OIS. Mm. And yeah, that'd be if they're not going to put OIS in the lens, are they going to put IBIS in the body? I don't know. A lot of the complaints, like old old Fuji logic, like up through the XT3 was we're not putting IBIS in it because of the size of those components. And then they put it in the XT4, and the XT4 is marketably bigger than the XT3. Sure. But with the XT5, they were able to get that with the newer IBIS system. They were able to get it smaller. The XT5 is now the same size as the XT3. So maybe... They go with IBIS, maybe not, but it's looking like there won't be OIS in yeah, the lens. That's a shame. I mean, it'd be great if they could put IBIS in, especially for video, but I guess we'll see. For sure. And even like 
photo stuff is it feels like the main the mainstay for the X one hundred V. And as far as name, like V is for five. There's gonna be a, it's gonna be a six. I kind of think that like it's gonna be R because of the Japanese word for six. And then also they're gonna be like R's for resolution. <laughs> <laughs> And then and then they'll put a forty megapixel sensor in. I mean, it. that would make a splash for sure. Because what was the current one? Twenty six. Yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of the same basic sensor that was in everything. Sure. The X Trans three, I yeah. think it is. Yeah, man, that that would be uh, impactful if it was forty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I want that so bad. I want it to be forty. Yeah. The uh, XS twenty has the twenty six point one X Trans four sensor. But paired with the, uh, what do they call their stinking processor? The uh, Xtrans V for five is the current processor. Yeah, I think that's right. So it's, it seems to me that the most likely thing is that it is an XS20, basically an XS20, just in an X100V style. In terms of keeping prices down, that would make more sense. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm expecting to happen. But I really want that 40 megapixel sensor. Yeah, in it. that'd be cool. Yeah. So, anyways. Maybe it's it's going to be the part of the same lens. We don't know what sensor is, but it means it's one or the other. It's either going to be a 26.2 X-Trans 4 or it's going to be a 40 megapixel X-Trans 5. Mm-hmm. I would seriously doubt they would put the 26 megapixel stacked BSI sensor. It from, doesn't, that doesn't seem like a good fit for what yeah, that camera there's, is. There's no way they do that. Yeah, I think that having IBIS would be great for long exposure stuff. I mean, True, it, yeah. It could be cool for, I mean, this is more of a street camera. I don't know how many people are doing long exposures for like street photography stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, sometimes you want to get, you know, trail lights and that sort of thing. And it could be cool to do that handheld or like get that shutter speed down to like a second. The big question is, is it going to be easier or harder for me to get my trendy blurry photo if it has IBIS? I mean, if it's got the X-Trans 5 processor, I mean, autofocus is getting better. So it probably is going to be a little harder. Uh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like that's kind of all we know. It's probably going to be similar form factor. I would bet the price will be similar. Price is probably going to be similar. It's just hopefully it's available. Yeah, yeah, that'd be the biggest thing, right? Just if they can get them on shelves. Yep i I still think I'm going to pre order one as soon as it's announced. But also the like when I think about do I need this in my life, and the answer is probably no. I mean, you've got a Minolta Hymatic AF2. Why would you possibly need another Fuji camera? Exactly. I only take so many pictures. How many cameras do I need? You do take so many pictures. The answer is more cameras, yes. obviously. But I have my X-T3. And there's like a number of trips coming up this year that I'm going to do. And I'm gonna, like, I don't want to bring my, X, my X-H2 and so, or X-H2S. So I'm gonna probably right now planning on bringing the X-T3 on all the trips that I do this year. But I've strongly considered selling the X-T3 and buying like a used X-T5. There's rumors that they might do an X-T6 this year. Wow, that'd be quick. That would it would be two years. Mm-hmm. I would be shocked. There's yeah. no there's no that way. Seems unlikely to me. I'm just gonna. That's They've my got hot. so many other cameras in their lineup that they haven't updated yet. I'd, yep. I bet those will happen first. That's my hot take. That there is no way there's an X-T6 this year. I would consider getting this new X100V. Yeah, you know, I've got the X-T30 right now with the 27 uh, f2 pancake lens, which is, or is f2.8, which is, you know, probably like the, the most comparable you can get in a interchangeable lens. Um, but I think the X100V would meet my needs a little bit more. And would you that. would you sell the X-T30 
and then sell me the 27 millimeter or 2.8. <laughs> I would probably sell the XC30. I don't think I need all those cameras. Yeah, probably not. So point is, I don't know if I can justify having a XT5 and an X100V. That's a lot of cameras. Like they would basically be the same purpose as just the X100V or R, whatever they call it. Is smaller. Yeah, smaller and fixed lens. And like I use the X-T3 for as like a third angle frequently for the video stuff sure. that we do. Mm-hmm. And the X-T5 would be able to serve the same purpose. And so like I did, it's it's a better choice for me. And having all three doesn't make sense. But I also know that if I ever want to have the option for an X100, I feel like I have to pre-order it. Yeah, it's like you can't uh, waffle about that when it comes out. You just got to be ready to go. Yep. I feel like I'm just going to buy it and then decide to keep it later. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel the same, which is a weird position to be in. But, yep. Yeah. Oh, well. So. So we're excited for that. Hopefully, yeah, super excited for it. Hopefully that's what February is about. Yeah, and I think that I think that if they announce that, they're also going to announce the X Pro Four. That's one of those ones that feels way overdue for an update. Oh yeah, because didn't they discontinue the X Pro Three? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, people really that was it was a divisive camera, but people really liked it. It seems like one of those cameras that has a small but vocal mm-hmm. fan base. I mean, if you if you depending upon who you follow on Twitter or whatever, I don't follow those people, Lucas. I do, and. <laughs> Some like frequently people be like, This is the coolest camera that Fuji has ever released, and they're talking about the X Pro 3. I love it in a concept as far as like you don't even have the screen behind it, right? You can flip it out whenever you need it, yeah, but it's just not there. Mm-hmm. Super cool, yeah. It's kind of a neat, uh, I mean, I just appreciate that it's different if nothing else. I like how that camera and the X100 have that. I think they both do. I know the X100 does have that feature where when you look through the range style style viewfinder, you can either look through like an actual glass range style or you can bring up the screen and see Mm -hmm. like an EVF. Yeah. And I think it's cool that you get that option. That is neat. It's just like super, super neat. And it's like, oh, here's all the high tech features, but you can also shoot this as low tech as you want. Mm -hmm. And then like the X-Pro3 is the X100, but with an interchangeable lens essentially. So I feel like if they came out with one, they're probably going to come out with the other. Mm. And X Pro Four is long, long overdue. Yeah. Well, we'll see in uh, not too long. Yeah, I guess so. The other thing for the Fuji event is Kaizen, which was like that whole Fuji film philosophy about bringing like the newest stuff to the old cameras and like you know making the new the old new again. That's oh, sort of I mean, that kind of feels like that's totally fallen by the wayside. It sh- it sure does. And I, I don't think they're necessarily thinking in that way anymore. But I mean, the XT2, they brought they brought as many of the XT3 features to the XT2, like in 2017 that they could. The XT2 got like 120 frame per second recording like a year and a half or yeah, two years into its that's, life. It's a big feature to, to drop on an older yeah, camera. It was like, here's all these super cool video features. And since since we bought the XH2S, I mean, there's been like Reala Ace. There's been touch-to-track focus in video. They added waveforms, vector scopes, anamorphic modes, wireless time code jamming. Mm-hmm. They've added uh, auto subject detect in the XS20 to like automatically do and this. All of that stuff is things that I would like to have on the you know video flagship phone or camera. You know the XH2S. Like, come on, guys. Yeah, like these are all just super super great features. Come on, like I come on. 
Come on, please. <laughs> just give it to me, man. Just please. <laughs> Come on, bro. It's just, I just, that's what I want to see more than, like, more than the X100 out of Fuji is just to not do what Sony does. And, like, I know that it takes time and people worry about the cameras and, like, software development costs and all this sort of thing, but the X-H2S is still their best video camera. Like, let's have the best video features. Yeah. We're not going to see it. I mean, I, we're not going to see another XH, like an XH3S or whatever for another two years yeah. at least. I agree with you, but I'm also not holding my breath for this to happen. I am. Look how blue I am. <laughs> Man, I would, I'd be so happy. Yeah. Yeah, you would. I'd be so happy. I, stuff like the waveforms and vectorscope is just so frustrating because it feels like a pretty simple software feature them to add. If they... If they did a huge, like a, you know, I know that they save their ver- major version numbers for huge features. Like ISO on a dial. Mm-hmm. But if they did like a, well, I don't even know what we're on right now, three, four, if they did like version five or whatever, the next big version number, and it was all of the things. Like they brought everything from the GFX 100, the second down, and we got like, waveforms and tracking and improved autofocus and real ace and all this stuff oh man i, I would dedicate an entire show to i was it. gonna say i think we'd have to have a, a podcast special edition just we for would that. have we would have an emergency podcast <laughs> i'll just see a phone call from you and you'll you'll just launch into the show as soon as we get on the phone <laughs> Tell <me> you're recording <laughs> yeah so that's probably pro- probably not gonna happen but that's what I want out of this February event. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I hope I hope you're right. Um, not holding my breath in the software future. And a, so. and a lens roadmap. Nikon stopped doing lens roadmaps too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, those might be going uh, by the wayside as well. <sighs> Whatever. It's a shame. Yeah. I heard that uh, Panasonic was also going to be releasing some stuff. Uh, it'll probably be out by the time this episode um, releases. But Yeah. So they're at CES. Mm-hmm. And I think that. Like they have some some show or something coming up. Yeah, yeah. Because I, as we record this, CES is about to happen, and I think on January eighth they're going to be uh, doing something. And I mean, it seems like all but certain they're going to release a hundred millimeter f two point eight macro. But there have been some wild, unsubstantiated rumors that they could also release a video camera at this event. I strongly doubt it. Yeah, I, I think we'll see more. More detailed and more accurate rumors before anything like that happens. Yeah, for sure. It's it's the L mount thing that we just keep talking about. Like everyone wants the video camera. They they want us. They want to see the the BS1H replaced. They want to see the S1H replaced. Yep. With an amazing video camera, and I know that Panasonic's got it in them, and that's like just bated breath for it, right? We talked about last year, like high-resolution L-mount as well. It's like, you want to shoot high-resolution L-mount, what are you going to do? In the same vein, there may be a Leica announcement this month. Oh, okay. And that could be the Leica SL3, Mm. which replaces the SL2. And the SL2 is like a 26-megapixel L-mount Leica camera. If they came out with an SL3, it would be basically the exact same sensor that's in the Q3 and the M11, which is that 60 megapixel, really good sure. Sony sensor um, with all the like a deliciousness. Uh, but it would be an interchangeable lens, like full frame style camera, right? 
but I'll mount. And I think that the SL2 was like $7,000 when it came out. So like kind of expensive, but still That's pretty expensive. I mean, like, I guess like an A7R5 is what, $4,500? Uh, Canon R5 2 is same price? Yeah, somewhere around there. So, like, it's on the even more expensive side because yeah. it says Leica. Yep. But a used SL2 right now is $2,500, mm. $3,000. So it came down a lot then. Not crazy expensive. But I've been talking about where is more, where is my 60 megapixel, 40 megapixel L mount camera? Yeah. And so maybe this is it. And so maybe this is it. I still want to see one from Panasonic because it would probably be $3,000 cheaper. Yeah. But it would be great to at least have something in that lineup. I agree. And the Leica one is supposed to have phase detect autofocus. Probably the same. Probably just getting it from Panasonic. Yeah. And so that's going to be really cool. And like it could have like nine frame per second shooting. And people are saying that it's going to support like 8K 30 video, which I don't even, I don't ever think about Leica for video. Yeah, that's kind of weird. It just may be specs that they they get for free because yeah. the sensor can do it. And so yeah, like why not put it in there? Check, check off the marketing bullet point. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, they, they put it on the sheet. People are like, oh, super cool. I got a Leica that can shoot 4K 24, blah, blah, blah. And so anyway... It's all the things that you would want out of a high, high-end, high-megapixel L-mount camera. And then it'll say Leica on it, so it'll be even better. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so that, that may happen this month. I'd, I still want to see it from Panasonic, like I said, but yeah. I think it would be... It's it's the thing that's been sorely missed, and it's good. It'll be good when it comes out. Yeah. I mean, selfishly, I would kind of like to see this because I want Panasonic's next camera to be the video camera. I don't want to have to wait even longer for the video camera. And so maybe if Leica is doing this, maybe Panasonic, you know, like in response to that, deprioritize their high resolution one in favor of the video camera. Yeah. Let, let Leica hold this part of the market. I mean, there's obviously a little bit of give take between Leica and Panasonic. A lot of collaborations happened for a long time. And so it would be probably counterproductive for Panasonic to release their version of that camera when Leica does. Well, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, because yeah. they'll they'll compete in that market and they probably don't want to do yeah. that. They probably want to give a little distance. Yeah. So maybe you're right. Maybe we see the see the Panasonic. I video mean, I'm just first. hoping. I just want to see it come out. So we'll see. Cool. Yeah. So I think that's those are those are most of the big things that we're looking at yeah. probably in the next couple months. Is, I mean, it seems like like we're getting something, right? Like we I mean, at minimum, we know we had that Fuji event. It's already on the calendar for mm-hmm. February. So we know some stuff's coming. And I mean, we talked before, you know, like uh, I think 24, 2024 is going to be a good year for cameras. So mm-hmm. we may not have to wait that long to see some of them. Yeah, I think that probably like March and May are when a lot of stuff is going to push. But yeah. I mean, the Olympics are in August. Mm-hmm. And so things have to be able to like, they're going to want to push the marketing, but I would think they would want things to be able to ship Agreed. before then. Yeah. And normally it's like, if you announce in May then you probably aren't going to get it into customers' hands until July. Right. With the way that these things work. So I would think that that's probably the time frame that most people are working with. But we'll see. Yeah. Exciting stuff. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Got anything else today? I think that maybe next week I'm going to come back with even larger formats of film. (laughs) If such a thing exists. Don't challenge me. (laughs) That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week.